All right. So nice to see all of your faces. My name is Pastor Susan, and it is a privilege to get to lead this church community. And I'm so glad that uh, you were able to come here on um, a long weekend. So I do hope that you get to know people. I was telling a newcomer that um, our building is not the most uh, highlightable thing about our church. Uh, the most important and highlightable thing is our people. So please don't leave this morning without getting to chat with uh, each other because God is at work in each of our lives. So last weekend, sadly, I was not able to be here to hear Pastor Ron's sermon, but also after church we had a Nicaraguan lunch and we had our um, twice-a-year church life meeting, but I, as the lead pastor, did not show up for that um, because, sadly, I was up in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, where I grew up, because I was uh, facilitating my uncle's uh, memorial service in Eugene. Um, and it was a really wonderful time with extended family and um, remembering his life. Uh, my husband, Alex, uh, actually came up with me to Oregon, and we got to go to my junior high, my high school. Um, we even, I insisted that my mom and my husband eat at the pizza parlor, Papa's Pizza, where we went after every football game in high school. And the pizza was pretty good, actually. <laughs> but the one thing that we did not get to do while we were up in Eugene, Oregon, do I have a, oh yeah, okay, beloved Eugene right there. The one thing that we did not get to do is to go to the University of Oregon. Um, one Among the many things that the um, about Eugene is that the University of Oregon campus is just beautiful, that it has the largest collection of Korean hanboks in the United States, Korean dresses in the United States um, because of my family. Um, but the University of Oregon is also very well known. Does anyone know? <laughs> Mighty Ducks, yes, that's their mascot. Nike, okay, yes. Eugene, uh, the University of Oregon is very known for track and field. So the nickname of um, Eugene or is Tracktown USA. It has a huge running culture. There are beautiful rivers all throughout that town and amazing um, running tracks, running trails. That's a, I so am into running culture that I don't even know what. <laughs> the Olympic track and field trials are there. There's just running is a big deal. And this is relevant to my message because I am going to be talking about a film. We're in our God and Film series, a film called Air. So why is this film called Air? Well, it is the story about some folks who are in the basketball marketing department of the, uh, the Nike Corporation um, landing a contract with a somewhat unknown rookie basketball player named Michael Jordan and uh, and about the, the story of creating one of the most iconic products in Nike history, which is the Air Jordan basketball shoe. How many of you have heard of the Air Jordan basketball shoe? 
How many of you have an Air Jordan basketball shoe? All right, all right. A few of you. Okay, so the Nike Corporation was founded by a young track and field athlete uh, from the University of Oregon named Phil Knight, um, and also his track and field coach. So he started this in 1964, and by the time we're introduced to Phil Knight in this movie, it's 20 years after the founding of this company. So Nike has grown into a substantial running shoe and apparel company, but it's on the verge of cutting down, shutting down its basketball marketing department. Um, and kind of his, the whole basketball shoe department due to extremely low sales. In response to this, the marketing VP, um, Rob Strasser, played by Jason Bateman, along with this, the co-founder and CEO, Phil Knight, played by Ben Affleck in this movie, tasks, <laughs> yes, um, played very well by Ben Affleck, they task this a Nike basketball talent scout named Sonny Vaccaro to come up with a new spokesperson for Nike basketball shoes. Uh, Sonny Vaccaro, played by Matt Damon. But here's the problem. The Nike basketball marketing department is not in a good place at all. The company has not given this department very much money, and the, tar- the department, this group of guys, they're just kind of, uh, I think young people would call it meh and mid. So uh, I think that means, uh, I'm an older mom, so I think what that means is they're just kind of aiming for the mediocre. They're not trying that hard. Their plan is to divide up this $250,000 um, marketing budget among several kind of mid-level players. And Sonny Vaccaro, the talent scout guy, is annoyed by this because he knows it's not going to work. It's just a you're-basically-not-even-trying kind of pathetic strategy. Um, So we're going to watch a clip of that. And I realize it's a little bit of a just a bunch of guys in a boardroom talking. Also want to warn you, there's a little bit of swearing in this scene, but we've muted it for your morning comfort. Um... (laughs) I do have to tell you that I was really excited about this movie. I thought the story was so incredible. And someone said to me, isn't there a lot of swearing in this movie? And I was like, is there? So I watched it again, and and I can uh, confess and attest, yes, there is. So we're just going to ignore that part, and uh, we've muted it for this clip. Sunny sees what others don't, that this strategy of just kind of getting random mid-level players is not going to work, that these mediocre dreams are going to lead to nowhere, and it's probably going to be the death of the Nike basketball shoe department. They're just wasting their time. No one's really saying anything. They're not passionate about anything. Everyone's just kind of showing up going through the motions, pretending to be strategic when they just, they don't really care that much and they're doing the same old, same old. Well, a few scenes later, in the midst of Sonny's despair, he watches this video of Michael Jordan playing in high school. And he has the eyes to see 
that Michael Jordan is going to be a once-in-a-generation talent. See, these guys don't know that, right? He just goes, click, this person, this person, Jordan, uh, you know, they're just kind of going through. And at the time they're talking about it, Michael Jordan is just uh, going into his first year in the NBA. They talk about him. They have no idea that he's going to be a super, super, super star. And even though no one else can see it, Sonny, Matt Damon's character, realizes that they need to get Michael Jordan to represent Nike. Somehow, he realizes and he sees they need to get Michael Jordan to be on Nike's team. But how? How can he do that? Apparently, Michael Jordan is super into Adidas. Adidas was the top shoe company at the time. And then secondarily, he's thinking Converse. So, Sonny is desperate. He sees something. He's motivated. So without permission from his company, Sonny flies out to North Carolina, which is where Michael Jordan is from, and appears unannounced at the Jordan family home to try to convince Michael's parents that Nike would give Jordan all the attention that he deserves that he needs, and that he would not get from his preferred brands, Adidas and Converse. Let's watch that scene. She's um, a little bit warm, a little bit polite, a little bit terrifying. When I grow up, I want to be like her. I just love how Viola Davis plays her. Um, Yeah. So Sonny, as you can tell, takes a huge risk in doing this. He had a friend, a mutual friend uh, of Jordan's who said, yeah, you you know, you should do it. So he does. Um, This is just not how things are done. He could lose his job. He could damage his career forever. But Sonny believes in it enough to try. And as we continue with this story... Amazingly, the Jordans do decide to come out to Portland, Oregon, and uh, meet with Nike and talk to them. Then, Sonny has to convince the Nike executives to not only spend all of their basketball marketing budget on um, this one rookie player, but to adjust that budget to increase it to $2.5 million over five years to just Michael Jordan and also a Mercedes 380SL, which has been requested. Amazingly, Phil Knight says yes, and then incredibly, I mean, there are just all these things that happen. You're like, what? This, they said yes, and then they said yes. The Jordan family agrees to go with Nike instead of Michael's beloved Adidas, um, But then Mrs. Jordan asks for one more thing. And uh, I'm just going to give you the exact words. This is what she says. She says, oh, there's one more minor provision. It's nothing really. It's so obvious that I'm sure the omission was a clerical error. Michael, Michael will get a percentage of revenue from each shoe that is sold. Sonny is utterly shocked. He's like excited that they say yes, and then he's like, I'm sorry, 
Mrs. Jordan, this is not how business works at all. The athletes get a licensing fee, and in this case, a groundbreaking licensing fee, but the athletes never get a percentage of the gross sales of the shoe. But Dolores Jordan lets him know that in order for it to be meaningful, that the shoe is named after Michael, they would like a percentage of every Air Jordan shoe. And I love that she calmly says, not every shoe that Nike sells, just the ones with Michael's name on it. <laughs> I have to stop and say that we now know that, that this movie is set in 1984. And we now, at this time, know that the Air Jordan basketball shoe, which is first sold one year into his rookie year, has turned out to be the single most impactful basketball shoe in the history of basketball shoes or athletic shoe in the history of athletic shoes. And recently, someone, just like a year ago, someone resold a pair of 1984 Air Jordans for $20,000. And the resale market for collector sneakers such as Air Jordans is currently close to $4 billion dollars. But they didn't know that at the time, did they? They did not know he was just a rookie, his first year of playing for the NBA. And basketball shoes were not really that much of a thing. Nike would say, people run in their running shoes. They all go to the grocery store in their running shoes. People walk around in their running shoes. But for basketball shoes, they just wear it playing basketball, then they take them off. It's not that big of a deal. Why would we invest in that? But Sonny, Sonny Vaccaro knew that he had to take this big risk. And he had to get Nike to take this big risk. And amazingly, he convinced Nike to do it. This uh, contract that Michael Jordan signed was the biggest deal, uh, three times bigger than any other deal that had been signed in the NBA up until that time. And Nike released Air, the Air Jordan sneaker line in April of 1985 with the goal of making $3 million in the first three years. That was their goal at that time. But sales greatly exceeded expectations, earning $126 million in one year. It did well. Currently, in 2022, the Jordan brand bought, brought nearly $5.1 billion to the Nike Corporation. Of that, a reported 150 to 250 million, depending how you calculate it and how you organize it, 150 to 250 million went to directly to Michael Jordan under his deal with Nike in the year 2022 alone. But no one knew at that time that it would happen, right? The Nike company didn't know it. Michael Jordan didn't know it. Phil Knight didn't know it. Sonny Vaccaro didn't know it. He didn't know it, but he had this sense. Sonny Vaccaro and Dolores Jordan, they knew something. And he knew that he knew. 
to use uh, Mike Davis's language. He knew that he knew that he knew something that in Michael Jordan was someone that you ought to take a risk on, right? He just knew that guy. We got to take a risk on this guy, a big risk. They had the eyes to see that not taking a risk was going to just lead to nowhere. And taking a risk was something that they had to do, even if this risk was a huge risk. And this is absolutely a theme that is woven throughout the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? When you see something and you know, you know, I have got to do what I can to be connected to this person. I've got to do whatever I can to, to move forward to this thing that I see. Risk is a huge part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully to Matthew 25, 14 through 27. It's a little bit of a long scripture, but I want you to really listen carefully to it, okay? Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. To another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. All right, so let's talk first about the first two servants. They did not make $126 million like Nike did in their first year of selling Air Jordans. But what did they do with their money? They invested it and they doubled it, right? They doubled their money. And I I just want you to think about that. That's a 100% return. Apparently, the S&P 500 is about an average of maybe 10%. So 100%. All the economics people are like, well, actually, man. 100% return. Very good. That's pretty amazing. In order to do that, you have to put in a large amount of risk. There are no low or no risk ventures that double your money. Okay? These servants were inherent in the story is that they were taking risks in order, they were investing in order to uh, bring this outcome, which is amazing. And, but I want you to know that it doesn't seem that it's the amount of profit 
that pleases the master because the first guy's like, hey, I brought you five more. And the second guy's like, hey, I brought you two more. And you note that the master says the exact same thing to both guys. So the master doesn't say, hey, at least in this story, hey, that's great. I, a five-pound guy, I like you better. Two-pound guy, you're okay, but not as good, dude. No, he seems to be happy that the first two guys did what they could. They invested, they risked in order to have this come about. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll put you in charge of many things. Let's partner even more together. Come and share your master's happiness. Join me. See the emotion. See my response. I want, you, I want to be connected with you. And I want you to connect with how I feel about how you did that. It's a relationship. It's an invest, invitation into a relationship. But the, what the master does not like is the servant who doesn't even try. Verse 24, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man. That's quite an intro to his response to uh, his master. He says, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. This servant clearly does not understand the heart of the master. He also doesn't seem to remember the commands of the master because the master said, trade with these until I come back. The master is not interested in maintaining the status quo or playing it safe. He wanted the servant to at least try to go and trade with what he had been given to take some risks. This third servant reminds me of the Nike basketball marketing department before, other than Sonny Baccaro, right? Because they're like, meh, we're okay, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I'm not going to try that hard. I don't really see anything that's going to come from this. But according to the scripture, to risk is to please and trust the master. To not risk and play it safe is to displease, distrust, and dislike the master. Right? To risk is to please the master. And to not risk or play it safe is to displease, distrust, and dislike the master. I love how this film shows us how pathetic it is and how unwise to not even try. If you have the opportunity to sign Michael Jordan to represent you, and then you go, eh, can't afford him. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? If you knew, and these guys didn't know, I, I, I admit, but if you knew that Michael Jordan was going to become Michael Jordan, uh, wouldn't you at least try to go after him? Because the list of Michael Jordan's achievements are long, my friends. I'm not a huge basketball fan, so I had to look it up. I had to go on online and go, wait, so how big of a deal was he? I'm telling you, turns out he was a big deal. Okay, yes, yes, take it from me. Six basketball, or six NBA championships, five most 
uh, Valuable Player Awards, five Olympic gold medals, first retired athlete to become a billionaire. In 2016, he was uh, awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I think it's just because President Obama wanted to hang out with him, don't you think? (laughs) Michael Jordan turned out to be awesome in a lot of ways. There's that um, phrase, goat, greatest of all time, right? He is widely known to be the greatest basketball player of all time, perhaps even the greatest athlete in the United States um, at all time. There's a, another basketball player who basketball fans would know. His name is Larry Bird. Um, and he described Michael Jordan as God disguised as Michael Jordan. And I would just like to say that that is not the point of this sermon. <laughs> so don't go home and s- tell someone, you know, my pastor said... But that is an illustration of how acclaimed Michael Jordan was, right? So, again, those of us who don't know basketball, he's a big deal, huge, probably the best. But the point of this sermon is saying that if you know someone, if you know that someone or something is going to be amazing beyond compare, You do what you can to be a part of it, right? If you knew, if you knew that someone in this room was going to be the next Michael Jordan or the next whoever, whatever category you're interested in, if I knew that someone was going to be the greatest backyard gardener there ever was, I'd be interested in that. If you knew that, wouldn't it make sense to be a part of it, to take risks so that you could benefit from who or what it is. I suggest to you, I exhort you, I challenge you to know that Jesus Christ is even greater than Michael Jordan. (laughs) Jesus Christ is in Jesus Christ. We have someone who is greater, bigger, better, more amazing, more full of ability with a greater future than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan saved Nike basketball. Jesus Christ saved the world. Michael Jordan was called God disguised as Michael Jordan. Jesus Christ is and was and evermore shall be God. Michael Jordan is a billionaire. Jesus Christ is the one to whom every knee shall bow and confess that he is Lord. Michael Jordan will grow old. He is growing old, just like the rest of us. He's 60, which is, I think, maybe not so old yet, but (laughs) he's slowing down. He probably has medical problems, right? He has problems like the rest of us. He went through a divorce. He struggled with gambling because at the end of the day, he is a person, right? Jesus Christ was a person, but at the end of the day, he's the savior of the whole world. He is the one person who chose to die on the cross and take upon himself the wrath of God so that our sins would be forgiven, that we could have life eternal with our creator. Amen? Amen. 
Jesus Christ. And I know he, he doesn't look like that, and he's hidden in his human ways, and he's often hidden even right now in this world. But to those of us who have the eyes to see, those of us who just see something, we know something, Jesus Christ is bigger, better, more important, more powerful than any human on this earth. He is and will be the ruler of all. Do you have the eyes to see who Jesus Christ is? Because even if the people around us cannot see it, do you have the eyes to see the future, cosmic, global, and universal greatness that is promised through Jesus Christ? When the rest of the world is saying, meh, about Jesus, and am I right that the rest of the world does say that? The rest of the world, they're like the marketing department. Eh, I don't know. About Jesus. We are called to be like Sonny Vaccaro. We are called to be like this guy who says, wait, I see something. I know something. There's something there. Something that I have to get. Something that's going to be unfathomably great. I think I have to do whatever it takes to get connected with this person. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear in his teachings that he wants his followers to take big risks, like Sonny Vaccaro did, for the sake of the kingdom of God, which is now and not yet. Jesus invites us to be like that and to, to let go of any part of us that's, that's just like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to bury the things I've been given. Eh. No, that is not the invitation of the people of God. And this is not so that we would become billionaires, right? That is not our goal. That was Nike's corporation's goal. Well, actually, their goals were too low, but that was their, their benefit. But our goal is not to become successful or wealthy. And sometimes these risks will lead to mystery or even suffering. There's no guarantee what exactly the risks we take will end up to be in this world. And sometimes you take risks for the kingdom of God and it looks different than what other people are doing or what we might have expected. And we're not talking about random risks, let me clarify. Uh, I'm not just saying you go and take Random risks, as you think. I don't know how to swim, but I think I'll jump into a lake. No, we're not talking about that. I don't know how to code, or I don't know anything about computers, but I'm going to apply to Facebook or Google. Eh, you can, but I... we're not talking about risks where you throw wisdom and common sense out the window. right? We're talking about taking risks to obey the commands of God as they are laid out in the Scripture, and as we are prompted and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we or others can get close to God. Does that make sense? We're not just talking about random, like, risky behavior. We're talking about taking risks to obey the commandments of God as they are laid out in the Scripture and as we are prompted 
and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that others or we can get close to God. Let me give you an example. One command of God, which feels very risky to me, is Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've command you, commanded you. So this is a great example of how Jesus sends us into the world to teach people, to invite people, to baptize people, and to help people to become disciples of, uh, of God. I tell you, I have lived in the Bay Area for many years, and I'd like to say that sharing with people about Jesus can feel like a risk, right? We are not living in a place where everyone assumes you believe in God. In fact, sometimes I will um, tell people that I'm a pastor or that I'm really into God, I'm really to church, and they will look at me like, you know, I could see it in their face, like, I didn't know people still believed in Santa Claus. You know, where it's like, oh, wow, huh, how quaint. But I tell you that God has put us in the lives of people that we work with, that we live near, that we are in their family for a purpose. God has put us where he's put us for a purpose, to radiate God, to reflect God to live out our purpose, either verbally sometimes, non-verbally sometimes, however it is that we ought to rightly reflect the gospel of God. And one way of doing this, there's so many ways to do this, right? There's, don't let anyone tell you there's just one way, one methodology for sharing the gospel. That's not true. But I want to share with you one way that our church is going to step into this together. And, um, This fall, we are joining with many other churches in the Bay Area who are doing something called Explore God. So we're just going to watch a quick video about that. Important to explore God because... Sorry, (laughs) some big questions. Well, because I think we have so much in between us and... If we were created in his own image, why are there so many different kinds of people? Why can't everybody be happy? If somebody had the answer to that, I'd like to hear it. One question. I have like a million questions. (laughs) What are we doing here? You know, like... Give me some guidance, please. Sharing that with other people so they know what true love is, is is the only thing that matters. So Explore God will be a multifaceted um, set of conversations. There are seven questions. We'll be preaching on those seven questions. I think you could see the schedule on the flyer near you. 
Um, but we'll have also have a number of discussion groups available online and in person where people can come and have conversations about those questions. And then some, as um, Lorette said, some of the small groups are choosing to do that those questions um, in their small groups as well. So it really is a, a set of conversations that we are inviting um, people into and, and ourselves as well. And I hope that that is fruitful for us. So I want to end by asking you, how is it that God is inviting you to take risks? How is it that you need to keep an eye on what you see, even if other people can't see it? Let's take a minute to pray together. Lord, I pray for those of us who've been regretful of some of the risks that we've taken. And I pray that you would heal us up and restore to us that uh, winsome and steadfast and passionate confidence that will allow us to risk again like the first two servants and like Sonny Vaccaro. Give us vision. Help us to see, oh God, what is good and true. Help us, Lord. Inspire us again to take risks so that we can be a part of something that is awesome. I pray that you would be revealing to each one of us by your Holy Spirit how it is that you're wanting us to respond. And Lord, help us as we respond to you as a congregation to your invitation. Come, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.